This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Bishop Stuart Ruck. Okay, so if I had to do favorite holiday, I'm, I'm going to go with Easter. I'm going to go with Christmas. Of course I am. I'm a Christian. I love those days and those feast days. But if I'm going to go for a holiday that isn't rooted necessarily in the gospel, I've got to go for Thanksgiving. I just love Thanksgiving. I mean, I'm one that, I love the turkey and the cranberry. I, I, my wife, Catherine, grew up in Brazil. Not so much. I, I, I love it. I think it's phenomenal. You know, I convinced Catherine. I brought her into Thanksgiving because the Brazilians speak Portuguese. So I said, how about we do a Portuguese turkey? That was one of my best cultural moves yet. But I love Thanksgiving. I, I love where it falls. I mean, it was really set into place by George Washington. I love him. Lincoln locked it in on the fourth Thursday of November. Love him. But I also love being around a table with my family, with friends. And I love thinking about what I'm thankful for from the last year, which is probably a practice many of you have as well. And for us as followers of Jesus, we're thankful for what Jesus has done in our lives over the last year. But here's what happens to me on Thanksgiving. And it happens to me actually in every holiday. Is I'm thankful for what God has done, the resurrection of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. Thankful for what he's done in my life and Thanksgiving. But with that thankfulness, with that joy and celebration, I always have a flip side of that coin, which is a yearning. Do you ever feel that on Christmas and almost feel bad about it? It's so good. It's such joy. And yet there's a yearning. A yearning on Easter that while we're celebrating like we are, for the fullness of what we're experiencing on Easter, just to continue a, a yearning at Thanksgiving, thanking God for what he has done. So often the Israelite people, the Jewish people were taught, thank God for what he's done and pivot to the future, trusting in what he will do. But as you pivot to the future, you trust in what he will do and you have a yearning asking him, Lord, please come. Please do more of yourself. Bring more of who you are. Today is a feast. Today is a holiday. Today is a celebration that we call Pentecost. This feast is three feasts in one. And I'm going to explain that to you. This feast actually started as what's called the Feast of Weeks. I don't expect you to immediately understand that, but that, those are the Jewish roots of this feast that we call Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. It's also the Feast of the Giving of God's Words, the Feast of the Giving of the Ten Commandments as God spoke to the people of Israel there on Mount Sinai. It's also the Feast of the Holy Spirit, the Feast of the Gift of the Holy Spirit. It's like a target, and you have a concentric circles, and you start out here with the Feast of Weeks, going into the Feast of God's Words, going into the Feast at the target of the very third person of the Trinity, the fullness of God, the Holy Spirit. What I'm hoping this morning will happen for you as I'm teaching, but even as the service unfolds, is that you will be thankful for what God gives us in the Feast of Weeks, in the Feast of His Words, in the Feast of the Holy Spirit. But I'm also hoping that in your thankfulness, a yearning will be incited. That you'll want more today of His provision, Feast of Weeks, of His Word and Words, the Feast of God's Word, the Feast of the Giving of the Ten Commandments, and you want more of His power, the Feast of the Holy Spirit.
This feast, Pentecost, that we celebrate started with the Feast of Weeks. We read about it in Leviticus chapter 23. And the Feast of Weeks, it's actually, it's actually a simple name once you understand behind it. The Israelite people had the Feast of Passover. There they celebrated every single year. God rescued us from slavery in Egypt by his power and his hand alone and a supernatural act of God. Indeed, a sequence of supernatural events. The people of Israel were freed from slavery in Egypt, an unimaginable deliverance that they may walk with God and move toward the promised land. And God said, you every year go back and live in thanksgiving that I delivered you from Egypt. The Jewish people still celebrate Passover regularly and with great passion. God rescued us. Fifty days, seven weeks, and one day after Passover, which happens in the spring, would be the Feast of Weeks, which was a harvest feast. A feast that said, God has provided for us. Indeed, you would put your plantings in in the spring around Passover. And 50 days later, which is about how long it takes off to germinate wheat and to see it sprout, you'd have the first fruits or the first harvest of the wheat harvest, the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after Passover. And you would say, not only has God delivered us, but he hasn't left us alone. He's provided for us. The Feast of Weeks, which is the first feast that leads to the full Feast of Pentecost, that the feast of God's provision. Those of us that garden, we know this well, do we not? Particularly that first fruit of the garden, that first, that first plant, that first vegetable, that first fruit that actually comes forward. In my case, it's always rhubarb. Rhubarb comes first. Last year, my rhubarb was like finger length. You could chop it. It could be made into a delicious pie, but it took a lot of it. But let me tell you, my first fruits of rhubarb this year, like a forearm. I mean, it was, it, was, it was muscular rhubarb. So, of course, I cut it, and I took it into the kitchen, and I used my Apple telephone, and I took a photograph of it, and I sent it to my family, because you send those things to your family. No one else cares. <laughs> it was my first fruit, so I was excited about the fact that my garden already started yielding. And the people of Israel said, God has given us the wheat harvest. We're going to eat. This is not some kind of perfunctory, oh, isn't it wonderful? It's, we are dependent upon the wheat harvest to make our bread to feed us. We do this as Christians. Many of us have embraced the practice of giving the first fruits of what we earn monetarily. We look at our paycheck before we pay our taxes, and we say, hey, I earned this, but God gave me that job. God gave me this strength. God gave me my abilities. I'm going to take 10%. The first thing I'm going to do with this paycheck is I'm going to give it to the church. I'm going to give the first fruits away. It's, it's a practice that we say because God gives us everything. The Feast of Weeks, which is the Feast of Provision, says we are thankful that we live our lives as if they will not work unless God provides for us. The Feast of Weeks says that we live our lives as if life will not work. Life will not happen unless God provides for us. So here's a question, hopefully, to stir up yearning for you. What do you need in your life? What do you really need in your life that only God can give? You can have a tendency to actually ignore that question because it can create anxiety for us that maybe it won't happen. But I'd like to push you there some this morning what is it that you need in your life? Could be a spiritual need, could be a very material need. 
could be financial provision, relational provision, freedom from a besetting temptation. What do you need in your life that only God can give on the Feast of Weeks, which is the Feast of Pentecost? We celebrate that God always provides for his people and we yearn for his provision. Then we have an exodus that was read. It's actually one of the Bible lessons appointed for the Feast of Pentecost. We have the story of the giving of what are often called the Ten Commandments, better translated the Ten Words, that God gave the Ten Words to Moses to give to the people of God because God speaks. The rabbis, many, many, many hundreds of years later, after the Feast of, Pen- the Feast of Weeks is set up, and even after the giving of the ten words happened, the rabbi looked back and said, wait a second, that happened in June, that happened at the Feast of Weeks, that God in his sovereign plan wanted to say, I will provide for you wheat, but I will provide for you more than bread, I will provide for you my very words. Jesus captures this understanding, and later he will say in his teaching ministry, very likely launching off of the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of God's words, man does not live by bread alone, by the wheat harvest alone, by the Feast of Weeks alone, but he lives on every word given him from the word of God. Hallelujah. So the Feast of Weeks moves into the Feast of the giving of God's words. God established a nation not necessarily with a constitution or a charter or some kind of political basis. He established a nation by speaking to a people. He started a people. He started the people of Israel through whom he would reveal himself to all the nations by speaking to them, by giving them his words because he is deeply and profoundly a dialogical God. He's a God who speaks in the written word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit and that's how we become persons. That's how Israel became a nation, by the speaking of God himself. That's how powerful his word is. But you say, okay, yeah, that's great, of course. God spoke trees, Stuart. You're right. You got me on that one. So God speaking a nation, he was already warmed up. He spoke the whole universe into being. You're right. But it isn't amazing. So we have a feast of the words of God. You see this in Deuteronomy, excuse me, Exodus 19, verse 8. It's there in your bulletin. All the people answered together as the words of God were given, as the Ten Commands were given. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's a great life motto for followers of Jesus. All that the Lord has spoken, Genesis to Revelation, We will do. We will do. Though it cost me my job, I will do. Though it cost me social ease in certain circumstances, I will do. The feast of God's word. We live our lives as if we will not know what to do or where to go or who we are unless we have the word of God. So my second question to incite a yearning is what is your relationship with the word of God? I primarily speak of the Bible, but I speak too of God's word as it comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the authority of God under 
the power of the Scriptures? What is your relationship with God's Word? How engaged are you right now in the reading of your Bible? Are you in a highly animated season with the Bible? Are you in a dry season? Are you in a season where you've actually, just be really honest, it's been a long time? If you don't have a Bible in contemporary English language, we have them here for you. We want to give you one today. God's sovereign plan marches on. The feast of God's provision in the feast of weeks. The feast of God's relationship with us in the feast of God's words, the Ten Commandments. And then we find that Jesus is crucified. He prophesied that he would be. He's resurrected. He prophesied that he would be, as did the scriptures before him. He comes back and he spends 40 days with his band, with those that are following him. And then he ascends to be with the Father, and he says, go and wait for the ministry, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, they're Jews. They're all Jews at this point, and they know that the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of 50, Penta is 50, the Feast of 50 Days is coming. So they're all going to Jerusalem. They've had Passover in Jerusalem, a Passover they would never forget where Jesus is crucified and resurrected. They're now moving toward Jerusalem. They're gathering there as are Nations from all over the ancient Near East and languages and people, some of them God-fearers, some of them seeking after God, many of them Jews gathering there in Jerusalem. They don't know that God is sovereignly planning that the feast of God's provision and the feast of God's word will culminate in the feast of God's presence himself. It'll culminate in the power of God, that in the way that we must have the provision of God to live. We must have the words of God to know who we are in God. We must have the power of God to live beyond. The power of God is the feast of God. It's the fire that falls upon the apostles in that upper room, it says. But we see fire before that. We actually see fire in Exodus 19. We read that when God gives his words to his people, verse 18, Mount Sinai, the mountain where God gives his words, was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Water is also a sign in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Water, fire, two primal, powerful elements. We're to live our lives beyond ourselves. We live beyond in such a way that we could not live our lives as Christians without the power of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you a third question. I hope to incite a yearning. Are you living beyond yourself? Are you living in such a way that unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit, You'll never talk about Jesus to that person. You'll never give a bunch of your money or your time. You'll never put your wife or your husband first. You'll never seek to reconcile a broken relationship with another Christian. Because the feast of the Holy Spirit is the feast by which we live the power of God. We live beyond ourselves. It's like a fire. It's like a rushing river, a fountain of never-ending water. Let's yearn to live lives that will only work unless God provides.
And unless God speaks as he has in the Bible, and unless God brings his power to us to live beyond. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.